Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, I got to tell you, in spite of Pastor Lars' lovely children's sermon, I don't like this text. I never have liked this text because there's not a lot of wiggle room in it. It's one of those texts that just, it's it text by it standing by itself does not have a lot of good news in it. But it does have a pretty clear reflection, reflection on, I think, how we work in the world. We always try to make sense of stuff, right? We want to know where we stand, where we fit in, so to speak. And regularly, we want to know if we're better or worse than those people. And that's the setup for this story. Jesus is teaching. He has the crowd in front of him. His disciples are there. And the question comes to him, are we, what about those Galileans who were murdered at the temple? So there's been some kind of incident in the Holy of Holies, in the temple courtyard, where Galileans have come and to bring their sacrifice, and somehow something has happened. It's made its way to us down through history. It, unfortunately, we don't have any details from outside Scripture about it. So it was important enough that it, Luke remembers it and has it as he writes the gospel some decades later. But something happened. And the way it worked in the temple courtyard, in the temple mount, is that there was a fortress that overlooked the temple area. And it was filled with Roman soldiers, and this is where Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, hung out. And they could observe the activity on the temple mount. So something has happened where he has sent in soldiers and in the incidents, violence has broken out and people have died. Their blood was mixed with the sacrifice that were there. Not a great day at all. And the question comes to Jesus, well, what about those folks? Did they do something wrong to deserve that? And the real question, of course, is, are we better than those guys? And Jesus gives the answer that I don't like, which was, well, they're no better or worse than you, but what you need to understand is that you need to repent. And the worst part of this is that it's not a singular you, it's the plural, meaning the community needs to repent. And then Jesus can't get off the gas pedal and continues on with a story that they clearly all knew about a tower that had fallen, and we don't know if it was the builders that it fell on or just innocent people walking by, but clearly people have died because the tower fell down. And he said, you're not any worse or better than those folks, but you need to understand, you need to repent or you will perish just like them. I don't like this text. I don't really like repenting, and it's not a lot of fun to talk about the community repenting, because what does repenting mean? Repenting means to go in a different direction. It means that we're walking this way, and now we're gonna start walking that way, which by definition means we're going to have to, what? Change. Anybody here like change? I'm not a big fan of it. I like doing the. I like it to be the same. 
I don't want to have to behave or be differently. So I will tell you about my first time that I needed to repent. I needed to go in a different direction as a very young pastor. I was blessed and gifted with professors of renown. They could teach like no other. So when I departed seminary in 1981, I was fairly certain that I was the smartest young pastor that had ever arrived in the church. And I know that would be a new thing for many people, but I, was, I knew it all. And I was so eager to share that knowledge with one and all. So four months into my ministry, I was teaching a Bible study. And then my neighboring pastor uh, took a new call, and I had my very first interim. So they asked me to serve as pastor at, at St. John's in Warner. And quite literally overnight, my congregation doubled in size. And so we moved, we moved the Bible study over to St. John's. And I got to tell you, at least in my own opinion, I was quite brilliant uh, as I taught. Um, and at the end of the second time at St. John's, here is Lola Dixon standing in front of me, all four foot 11, 60 years old, and she's thumping me on my chest, which I was startled, I can tell you that right now. And she was clearly, I can be slow, but she was clearly unhappy. And furthermore, she was unhappy with me. And she said, Pastor Dave, what are you about? What are you trying to get done here? And if I had been honest, which I was not, I, would, I should have told her, well, I'm pretty sure I'm trying to let you all know how smart I am. That would have been honest. What I told her is, I have no idea. <laughs> which is probably also true at that point. And she said, young man, you need to find that out. You need to figure that out. What are you going to be about? Well, I went home to my lovely bride and I shared my tale of woe. And I said, you know, she was really mean to me and boy, you should support me. And that was what I was looking for. And she did not do that. Uh, she informed me, I think that's a great idea. You should figure out what you're about. Where's the love and support when you need it? So I did actually spend that week thinking about it, prayed about it, did some scripture study, talked to some older pastors who were no help whatsoever, just so you know. And then I found Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And in St. Paul writes, the gifts that he gave, the spirit gave, were that some would be teachers and pastors and prophets so that, so that the community of faith might be built up, that the people of God might be equipped for ministry. See, part of it is I had grown up in a church that was trying an experiment. And I've got to tell you, in my learned opinion now, after 40-some years, it was a disaster. Before the war, pastors were really important. They were well, they were one of the educated people in the world, but they had a specific role of equipping people for ministry. The grandparents that I grew up with were people that knew how to take care of livestock. They rarely, if ever, needed a veterinary. They knew how to make a contract. They didn't need an attorney for most of their life. And truth be told, they didn't always need pastors because they could operate 
on their own. They knew how to visit people in the hospital. They knew how to tend to the sick. They knew how to pray. And if the weather was bad, grandma or grandpa would open the scripture and we would have service at the farm. They knew how to do that. But after World War II, there was a concerted culture change in the United States that everyone needed to be an expert, particularly within the law and within medicine and, and certainly within the church. So the church that I grew up in from being an infant into being a young pastor clearly believed and understood that only pastors could be ministers. That's what my dad was called. He was a pastor of the church, but his real title was minister. And nobody else could bear that title. And only pastors could preach. Only pastors mattered going to the hospital. Only pastors could teach. Only pastors could do all the things that the body of Christ was supposed to be doing. And so when I arrived on that doorstep of St. John's in Scandinavia, and Bethany, here was this brilliant young man who didn't know one doggone thing. How do we equip a saints for ministry? We teach them the disciples, the gifts of the discipleship. We preach the gospel week in and week out so that people hear it on their ears over and over again. But we need to make sure that it is not just us doing ministry. That belongs to all of you and to me. How do we do that together? How do we enrich and enliven all the gifts that are sitting in this pews at First Lutheran Church that are watching on TV later this morning or watching online? How do we gather up all those gifts that the Holy Spirit has poured into you and to change the world with the good news of Jesus Christ? Repenting is needed. This repenting by the whole body is needed. Because Pastor John has retired, because of all the changes that I've brought here, because I'm not Pastor John. Couldn't be if I wanted to. So just by being here, we've already started to repent because we're going in a different direction. But what does it mean for the body of Christ here at First Lutheran Church to think about going in a different direction? One of my teachers when I was a young senior pastor was a pastor in a different state. I'm not gonna tell you where because that's not the point of this story. And he was four years at, at the start of this story into a downtown church, big downtown church that had been, had been very prominent, was still prominent, but you could start to see the cracks in it a little bit. And he was working really hard at changing his own thinking and changing the thinking of the community that he was called to serve. He was working at repenting and going in a new direction. So there had been a five-part series of preaching on the gifts of the Spirit and how the community might lift up ministries and that someone might bring an idea forward for somehow of serving the neighbor. And at the end of the five-part series, here were two old mechanics long retired standing in front of him. And these two old men said to the pastor, we've noticed that there's a lot of young mothers coming to church. And we've looked at their cars out in the, out in the uh, parking lot and they're in really tough shape. 
So we were thinking that we would have a car rodeo and that we'd put up a flyer and we would invite those young women to bring their vehicle to the church parking lot and we'd change their oil and check their engine, so on and so forth. But we would teach them how to care for their vehicle. Would that be okay? So now, years later, he's, as he's telling me this story, he said it was so tempting to just say no because I immediately could envision all the horrible things that could go wrong. First and foremost, just having oil all over the parking lot. And he goes, and you know the custodians would love that, right? So after a long deliberation, as the two men stood in front of him, finally he said, okay, fine. Okay, fine. But he said, I was so cowardly that I did not show up because I did not want anyone to think that I had anything to do with it because I knew if it was going to go wrong, it was going to be all those guys. So when I appeared on Sunday, there they were in church, and I said, well, how did it go? And they said, well, we had some problems. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Well, what were the problems? Well, we had so many women show up with so many vehicles, we didn't have enough time to get to everybody. And we're going to have to have them come back. And we've invited a couple of our friends that are retired to come and help us. So when you fast forward about two years later, this downtown church was filled with young women and their families who were coming to church because now they had a ministry. The car ministry was about a quarter of a million dollars in the budget. They bought cars, rebuilt them, gave them away to those that needed them. They had repented. They had gone in a different direction. They had been able to discover the needs of the neighbor and found a way to meet it. The church continuously needs to repent, continuously. What has worked will not necessarily work in the future. What the need of the neighbor is today could be different tomorrow. How does the church repent and move in a different direction so that those needs might be met we understand that we have been gifted by Jesus Christ with a new beginning and a new life, that our sins, in fact, are forgiven, and that each day is given to us as a gift. So how do we utilize it? How do we utilize all the gifts that are gathered here in this room right now or online? How do we serve a neighbor that is in need? How do we serve a community that is in need? Jesus finishes this all up with talking about a fig tree that is bearing no fruit and about the need for digging around it, as the gardener says, and putting on manure. Now, how many of you know what manure is? How many of you like manure, right? Not so much, correct? But when it's used in the right way, what? It brings life to the tree and the capacity. The Holy Spirit regularly to me is manure. It looks a lot like Lola Dixon sometimes thumping a young pastor on the chest. It, look, it can look like two old guys who have an idea of how they might serve. I would hope as we move through this season of Lent and as we move through this year as I serve you in this interim capacity that we might think and pray about how we can use your gifts and talents and abilities enriched by the Holy Spirit and sent out into this world. God's blessings to each one of you as you are the people of God. Amen.